Ohio people with Mennonite views, and they're gonna give us some missional news. Ohio Conference Cast. You are listening to Ohio Conference Cast, a podcast dedicated to sharing missional stories and other information about Ohio Mennonite Conference. Here are your hosts, Corbin Weaver Busher and Ramon Lyonez. Hello and welcome to the Ohio Conference cast with Corbs and Moan. Uh, we are excited to have uh, another interview to share with you this month. Um, we took a month-long hiatus, you may have noticed, last month. Uh, we're still figuring out our rhythm and, and how to bring regular episodes, but uh, we are committed to doing it, and, and we, we promise to continue to uh, bring these episodes to you all. Uh, on a monthly basis, and, and hopefully with some some bonus content along the way. Um, so what we have for you all this month is an interview that we did with Lucas Johnson, who is a pastor and teacher. He is a pastor at the Valley View Mennonite Church in Pennsylvania, which is a member conference, a member church of Ohio Conference. And we were interviewing him about his military service. Some of you longtime listeners to the Ohio Conference cast might remember Lucas from uh, the series he did on discipleship uh, a year or two ago. Uh, at some point, we, we really want to follow up with him on that journey, but we also are aware that he has uh, he's a Mennonite pastor now from a military background, uh, which is something that we were interested in talking more with him about. And um, some of you may know that, that Moan also has uh, a military background um, before coming into the Mennonite church and I just want to give him right out of the gate here before we get into the interview. Uh, I want to give Moan an opportunity to share a little bit about why this conversation uh, is so important to him. Yeah, hi guys. Uh, I miss you, and I'm so glad that we're able to uh, have another uh, podcast to uh, offer you guys. Um, one of the reasons why this is very important to me, and I really wanted to pursue uh, an interview with Lucas, is because. I I sense that with all that has happened, in the, especially the last year, and uh, and some changes in in how things are happening in the world, uh, one of the things that our church, as a denomination, as a as a um, body of believers, is sometimes being pushed aside, and we're not focusing on it as much as we should, and that is our that is our peace stance. That is, uh, in relating also to the military, those are in active duty and veterans, and also how uh, we need to uh, uh, review where we're at with it again, not so much as whether we're, we're okay with it, but to uh, educate ourselves and to educate our children. Uh, oftentimes, we wait until a war is happening. And or maybe even like Vietnam, when people were threatened with the draft, uh, then all of a sudden it becomes a hot topic. And then when peacetime comes along, it's it's pushed off to the side. Um, so I feel a uh, a duty and and also I and am experiencing uh, a privilege to be able to talk to Lucas. And have him share from his experience and how God has worked through him and in him and in his faith journey about uh, uh, becoming a, uh, a person of peace and knowing and, and believing that as Christians, uh, 
we we have a, a calling to uh, be uh, Christ to people in that manner. So uh, I like some of you know I've served in the military before, and a lot like uh, Lucas and I've identified in our conversation. You know, we've had combat experience, and uh, and we we unfortunately know what it's like to uh, participate in. Uh, Taking people's lives and and uh, the atrocities that happen in uh, not only to uh, the uh, people that we're called to love our enemy, but also within the people, us, the veterans, and the people on active duty that experience uh, brokenness and uh, and some destructions to who we are in our being and. Uh, I just wanted you guys to know that uh, please, please, please listen to this uh, this podcast. Share it with each other. Share it with your students. Uh, share it within with your leaders, pastors. Uh, I pray that it uh, motivates you to once again uh, pick up this this topic and not not just push it off to the side because we're. I I would say experiencing a time of uh, international peace, but you know, we we know from our past year too that peace is not just something of war; it's something that we have within our communities, and there has been a lot of discord and unpeaceful times within not just the, the secular world, but also within our church. So God bless you, and I love you. Thank you. All right. So thank you, Ramon. And, and I think it's just helpful for us to get a sense of how real of a conversation this is for a lot of people in the church and, and in the world. So um, thanks to, to you, Moan, and Lucas as well for, for being open and vulnerable with this topic. Um, I think there is a lot for us all to to receive from it. So without any further ado, here is our interview with Lucas. Well, welcome to Lucas Johnson. Welcome back to the Ohio Conference cast. This is like a second home for you oh. in your uh, podcast world, right? I am excited. This is where uh, my first experience with podcasts was uh, just really getting into to this one. This is the best podcast ever made. That's what we think. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the thing is uh, I, I'm way out tail on the dinosaur in Ohio Conference. So anything I know about Ohio Conference, I have learned from this podcast and going to ACA. So, um, oh, man, that's awesome. Yeah. Amen. It's invaluable. We, we, we still stand on the shoulders of giants and, and Thomas and Bill. So, yes. yeah. Um, granted, my shoulder is probably heavier for them. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no comment. So we are we are just super excited to have Lucas on the show Amen. this month. Um, we and and Ramon in particular, from his military background, um, we're just really interested in talking to Lucas, who also is is now a Mennonite pastor at Valley View Mennonite Church in Pennsylvania, which is a member congregation of Ohio Conference. Right. Uh, Lucas is also a teacher and and has recently become uh, one of Ohio Conference's pastors at Valley View. Mm-hmm. And and he also has a military background similar to Ramon. And, and this is a conversation that I think all three of us are really interested in Absolutely. engaging. I'm... Especially yeah, I'm, from a Mennonite perspective. I'm very excited to be in a conversation about military things with three Mennonite pastors, two of them being veterans. I think that's just a weird scenario in itself. So, mm-hmm. yeah. That sounds like the start of a joke, right? It kind <laughs> of. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so what's your favorite Mennonite joke? Um, anyway. 
<laughs> just kidding. Maybe we'll save those for after. Yeah, that's probably yeah. a good idea. <laughs> Everyone has one. Um, yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, yeah. just to kick us off, uh, uh, before we even necessarily get into the military stuff, and, and maybe you'll just go there organically with this question, we just like to ask everyone that we interview what your faith upbringing was like. What was your background? Oh. Did you grow up in the church? Um, I grew up in churches. About, about your family. <laughs> you grew up in churches. Yeah, I grew up in ahead. churches. My family is very biblically based as far as my parents are really into Jesus and they're really into each other. And they've always taken that where two or more are gathered thing very seriously. So my parents have always had church every day together. They've, they've always been very biblically based. Um, they've always had a hard time finding church congregations that they feel at home in, though, is, is a downside mm-hmm. to that. So uh, it would be easy to critique and say that I grew up as a church hopper, but I, I don't know if that would really be accurate by uh, what we think of as church hoppers, because when we weren't going to a congregation, and even if we did, we'd still end up having church together in the living room as a family. So family of five. Um, I I always think it's easier to describe the the church tradition I grew up in as being closer to Pentecostal. Mm-hmm. Um, just it, it seems like there was a lot of emphasis on on the Holy Spirit moving, and uh, whenever we would go to churches, we tended to gravitate towards more charismatic churches and things like that. So uh, I I sometimes call it the circus, and that's very tongue in cheek. Um, I say, well, I've been to the circus uh, because I grew up in it. I grew up seeing people, uh, you know, praying in tongues and being very vibrant. And uh, I I know some of that. And honestly, this is my belief. So secondary theology, whatever. But I believe that all of that happens. I also believe that all of that gets abused. And I believe that a lot of it is uh, for the sake of uh, almost like showing off within a culture. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm not. I'm not in a place where I can make that assumption every time, but I do find it very distracting on a personal level, but uh, I'm not going to say it's wrong. Um, I went through a period of time where I went to, I went to Catholic mass for a while, though never confirmed. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, well, actually I never made any, any efforts to become Catholic, but my best friend mm-hmm. growing up was Catholic. And, uh, when I was in the army, I, I, uh, attended Catholic mass because the Protestant service was just uh, nationalism rhetoric. And even before mm-hmm. I was a Mennonite, that bothered me like crazy. Um, there are not that many references to eagles and flags in the Bible for what I was hearing on a Sunday morning. So mm-hmm. I started going to Catholic mass because they used, you know, three scriptures, stand up, kneel, stand up, kneel and go home. So uh, I started going to mass instead for a while. Um, some of my good friends from, from uh, my teenage years became reformed Presbyterian pastors and they've had a huge influence on my, on my theology over the years. And um, yeah, so I, I I like to say that I became Mennonite by way of reformed Presbyterian because I was raised uh, kind of hyper Arminian. And these terms don't mean much to Mennonites all the time because it's almost like that's not our argument. The whole uh, Arminian Calvinism thing isn't, it isn't a Mennonite mm-hmm. argument. 
I'm with you, and I'm planning our next podcast. So that it'll oh, be fun. good. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I grew up kind of hyper Armenian, you know, like, and that wasn't so much my parents is you know the Christian like free, free will, right? High emphasis on free will. Free, yeah, on free will, but almost to a scary extent. Where you know how sin separates you from God, so every time you sin, you're now going to hell. So. Um, that doesn't do much for an insecure child. So, you know, uh, I'm sure a lot of my sarcasm and jokes come from uh, growing up believing that I was going to hell just because I couldn't stop sinning. Uh, <laughs> so what was odd is I wasn't allowed to ask questions in my own mind. Now, again, this is never mm. expressly taught by my parents, so I'm not blaming my parents. They're good, godly people. And in fact, they're actually not that charismatic anymore themselves. They the they're just really into Jesus, which they've always been very grounded, but you know, Amen. yeah. So, um, I, I respect them. I love them. Uh, theologically, we're probably hitting at about 80% alignment with each other, which is pretty good. Uh, <laughs> well, that's good for any, uh, any Christian interaction. That's good for any Mennonite interaction. That's amen. <laughs> amen, brother. Stamp of approval on that one. <laughs> yeah. It's been uh, an interesting journey for sure, but when I when I ended up being a Mennonite, I, I unintentionally became a cessationist, which believes that the gifting is done with the apostles. And I never intentionally, uh, you know, made a, a choice to to feel that way. And uh, I just kind of became a giant skeptic of all things spirit led. So mm-hmm. that pendulum is swung back, and hopefully, I'm finding a healthy middle ground where I can embrace all three parts of the Godhead and and worship them as God. So I feel there's a danger in excluding one of the personalities of God when I'm just Absolutely. like, oh, Jesus Absolutely. and Father God. And then we never talk about the Holy Spirit because that's scary and I'm not doing it. So um, now mm-hmm. I'm just really trying to be all about God. So. All okay. of God, if I could so, handle that. <laughs> <okay>. <laughs> so I have a question for you as we move into the topic. It's like, uh, what led you to uh, join the military? I had a bad day at work. Are you serious? That, that is it. Um, I was loading trucks for a living. I had recently dropped out of culinary school, which is some common ground that you and I have, only you were good at it, and I... Oh, stop it, man. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that all, that all depends a, on whoever ate the meal. <laughs> well, well, you've said you were a culinary instructor. My instructors yeah. were great, so it wasn't their fault. Yeah. But, um, yeah. yeah, I realized it wasn't what I wanted to do. So instead, I dropped out of culinary school and started loading trucks for a living at a, uh, at a clothing place called Blair. And I don't even remember where they're based now, but it used to be mm-hmm. a, a little ways from my house. I just had a really bad day at work and a recruiter called me and, you know, Hmm. I'm just like, all right, I'll hear what you have to say, but I'm not interested. And then uh, we had that conversation five or six times. He's like, well, why don't you go take the uh, ASVAB test up in, you know, down in Pittsburgh and just see how you score. And by the end of the day, I had signed up. Um, Wow. Oddly enough. uh, Yeah. I, I didn't know whether I was going to or not. And, um, yeah, so I was I was looking at all these different jobs I qualified for because oddly enough I scored pretty well, and uh, I had a captain pull me into her office and tell me why I should go study Italian and be a linguist. They're like, "Well, you, that'll you have to sign up for five years, but it's two years of free college, and you know, like right at the beginning." And I'm like, "There's no way I want to waste five years of my life. Uh, I'm not doing it." 
Um, so I signed up for two years as a petroleum supply specialist for the sole okay. reason that my English teacher in high school told me that you will never be able to pump gas for a living. That job is gone. So when the Army said that you can pump gas for a living, I'm like, yeah, that'll show you. Um, you are amazing, bud. So it, it just, I was just going to kill some time and save some money and then figure out what I wanted to do. And then once I had been in a year, my personal life had kind of fallen apart. Uh, all the relationships okay. I had going fell apart right away. And then mm-hmm. uh, I thought I really enjoyed what I was doing. You know, the discipline, being part of something bigger than yourself. Just being on a team feels good sometimes. So about a year in, because I only had a two-year enlistment, I was eligible to re-enlist at one year in. I had spent the first six months maybe in training. Mm-hmm. Just be- yeah. between being a hold over, hold under, and then they gave me an additional skill identifier and I had to go to an extra school. So mm-hmm. by the time I actually got to re-enlist, I think I'd been in the real army about six months. I was mm-hmm. 19 years old and in great shape and I had no bills and, you know, everything was going great. So I re-enlisted for four more years. Uh, okay. Another weird thing to mention is I actually joined the Army in a time of peace. By the time I got out of training, we were in two wars. So uh, it was a very interesting time to be to be a, a new recruit in the Army. Uh, I watched the Twin Towers fall while being locked in the barracks at Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri, while I was in training. Mm-hmm. And afterwards, one of our drill sergeants pulled us out into the yard, and he congratulated us that we would have the opportunity to fight for our country and what a wonderful experience this was going to be. It was very unusual. And I look back on that as being really dark and twisted, but at the time, you mm-hmm. know, it seemed like the right thing. So that was really how I ended up joining the army, you know, kind of in a okay. nutshell. And the time that I spent actually pumping gas, I'd say that probably covered my first enlistment. And then they always found something else for me to do. So I've been one of the guys who goes on patrol, you know, one of the door kicker type people. And uh, yeah. I've been a light wheel mechanic. I've worked in the post office. And then most traumatically, I, I was a guard in an interrogation facility, which will affect the way your brain works for the rest of your life. Absolutely. But, um, Absolutely. And I'm glad that you brought that up because uh, for the listeners and especially the uh, people that are thinking about possibly going into military service or the youth that or grad, have graduated or in their senior year, I don't think they realize that once you enlist, you know, yes, you might start in one particular job or they call it an MOS, but uh, you're theirs. And oh, yeah. one minute you could be pumping gas and the next minute you could be, you know, kicking indoors. Oh, and that's absolutely. not what you signed up for. Yeah. yeah. So. <laughs> that's the funny thing is they don't tell you that is if you find yourself in a cushy job, if they send you to a combat zone, they've already paid a civilian to do that job. That's going to be through KBR or Halliburton or one of those other companies that was owned by a politician. So it is what it is. Everyone is primarily a rifleman. So you can't join the military with the expectation that I'm not going to be expected to aggress. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing is, is I've never, well, I, I can't honestly say I've never been a violent person, but I've never been like a warmonger. You know, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have considered myself one. But at the same time, uh, you are expected to be willing to indiscriminately kill people 
right. or $1,500 a month. And then right. when it's all done, you're expected to go home and to not react to people that give you a reason for hostility. So for the rest of your life, you're going to be a square peg in the world of round holes. Being a veteran. And well put. Yeah. And you can relate to this, I'm sure. Being a veteran means that you will always be on the outside of the camp. You'll be on the perimeter and you'll have friends. You'll have relationships with people in all kinds of camps, but you never fit. Your days of fitting in are are done, which Mm -hmm. actually, and this is kind of a side topic, but this is what I believe Christianity and especially Anabaptist tradition has to offer veterans is that higher calling, that higher purpose, and the fact that Jesus calls us to that same sort of obedience where you don't fit in. Well, veterans don't fit in anyway. We're missing this whole group of people. 22 veterans commit suicide every single day because Mm -hmm. they don't know that they've already been called to their next mission. So I really feel like the Anabaptist tradition in general, Christianity as a whole, but particularly the Mennonite church, should be scooping up these veterans left and right because they know war is futile. We know war is futile. So, and you know what? And we we don't get to judge because we've been oppressed. We've been the oppressor. We've been all of it. So it really Mm -hmm. puts us in a a very Pauline position Mm -hmm. almost. And in the sense of, you know, just the the universal church in general, I kind of did a round robin myself as far as denominations. The Mennonites, uh, you know, Anabaptists, we're, we're on the outskirts, too. I mean, oh, yeah. we're not, in a lot of ways, popular. You know, we're, we're not anti-patriotism, so to speak, no. but we're definitely not going to, you know, drink the Kool-Aid just because people right. on the higher up say, hey, go fight for us. Meanwhile, they're eating, you know, steak and potatoes and, and their kids are off in school somewhere and it's us paying the price. But uh, I'm going to let, uh, I, I want to... Uh, Corbin to ask a few questions. Oh, and, great. And I'll, I'll pick it up too. So I knew that this conversation was, was going to be really significant and real, but man, I'm already shook by, oh, by what you just said. I mean, it's in, in the best way, like that is such a helpful perspective and inspiring too, for, I think, right. We are speaking to, from a Mennonite perspective. I think most of our audience is probably uh, right. Mennonite or at least Mennonite adjacent so yeah, just really powerful to hear that. Could you talk a little bit then about your journey towards a more non-resistant, peace-oriented view? Um, were you, I mean, it sounds like you've considered yourself a Christian throughout your life. How did your Christian faith play into that? Well, I actually tried very hard to be an atheist between the ages of about 22 and to uh, 23 or 4. I actually tried to be an atheist. Um, the best I ever made sure. it was an agnostic because I, I've seen God too much. Mm-hmm. No one who grew up with my grandmother could ever be an atheist just because she didn't possess that logical part of her brain that would say, no, that doesn't happen. She would just speak it and it would happen. And so, and anybody that grew up around my grandma Johnson never had the luxury of, of fully a- atheism, I don't think. Uh, I tried to be an atheist, and I actually had a bunker experience, which are very <laughs> life changing. I'll give you the short version. I thought you I was said a bunker experience. A Some bunker. people don't know what that means. Okay, so we're having a rocket attack. I believe we were, you know, uh, you could see uh, another country from where we were sitting, and we're being rocketed from this other country, but we can't shoot back because that other country is our ally. 
which is also a conundrum that you find when you're doing military experiences. Sometimes the people that are attacking you, you're not allowed to fight. So uh, we're getting rocketed from a country that's our ally while we're sitting in this country that we're supposedly helping. And we're in this bunker, me and four or five other guys are in this little cement bunker and doing a combination of cursing and smoking and uh, praying, you know, which is what people do when they're in a bunker. At some point, though, it becomes pretty obvious to me that we're going to die. You know, I don't want to I don't want to exaggerate it or anything like that. But I was I was pretty certain that the next round was falling right on top of us. But what happened in that moment is I had an overwhelming sense of peace that I have never experienced before or since. And in that moment, I knew that I believed in Jesus, not just God, but that I believed in Jesus. And I had a verse from my childhood stuck in my head. Uh, and it wasn't the ones that you would expect. It wasn't Father into my or into your hands I commend my spirit. And it wasn't like I didn't start saying the sinner's prayer or anything like that. But what went, kept running through my head was create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Amen. And from that moment, I knew that Jesus was real. And I also um, was kind of reaffirmed of something I wanted to do anyway, but I felt very peaceful about pursuing my wife, who we hadn't married yet. But I, I don't remember if we were engaged yet or not, but she was still living in Pennsylvania as a nice Mennonite girl, and I was the rowdy army guy in Afghanistan. She's a very understanding person, clearly. Um, Amen. Yeah. So, uh, but her father actually yeah. became a Mennonite in the seventies after doing two tours in Nam. So he broke the ice for me, really. So, mm-hmm. so much of the progress that I feel that I've been able to make within my church, as far as just being accepted and being able to bring things to a conversation and to the table, or because my father-in-law in the seventies went through all the hard conversation. He really mm. broke the ice for me on this conversation because he stood his ground with all the uh, old gatekeepers that said he did not belong there. And he took it on the chin oh, wow. and he stayed because that's, uh, if you ask him, that's actually part of what being a Marine means is, mm-hmm. <laughs> is you just stand there and take it and you smile back mm-hmm. and you just keep coming back. And uh, Yes, sir. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so... Uh, Oddly enough, I uh, but because that is my father-in-law, my wife didn't see it as a deal breaker that I was in the military. And oddly enough, uh, I, when I got out of the army, I asked her where she wanted to go to church because I grew up a little more, you know, where you went to church wasn't as important. She said, well, I have a church. So my wife has attended one church her entire life. I used to change churches mm-hmm. about every six months. So I started going to Valley View Mennonite Church with her, where Rob Esch was the pastor. You know, I was attending this Mennonite church, and I think the first time that was Memorial Day weekend, they had all the people that had done volunteer service or had been, uh, you know, had done all those programs that aren't military. You know, when people get drafted throughout the years, they would go do that alternate service. And they had them all stand up, and they kind of honored them that day. And I just looked at my father-in-law, who's a decorated combat veteran, and I'm a decorated combat veteran, and I'm, we're looking at each other, and he just kind of gives me one of those looks and a shrug, and they said nothing about us. And we're like the, the veterans in the congregation. And then I had to – that's when I started the conversation because I didn't even know Mennonites were a peace church at that point. I'd heard they were conscientious objectors. Okay, like Sergeant York. Like I didn't know what was up, so. That's right. I, uh, that started the conversation with my with my wife, and she's like, "Well, we don't do military." I'm like, "What do you mean you don't do military? What does that mean?" So 
And then I had to fight with it, honestly, because I didn't join the Mennonite church until about eight years ago. I attended the Mennonite church for the past 15, 16 years, but I didn't actually join the church until about eight years ago because I had to fight through this. I had to take that thing I was Mm. most proud of, which was my military service. I'm a combat veteran, right? Like I'm a dangerous man, Mm -hmm. you know? There's all kinds Mm -hmm. of male pride and all kinds of things. This was my accomplishment of everything I failed at in Mm -hmm. life. That was my accomplishment. And then my loving savior just turned it up on its head and smashed it. No, I'm kidding. But it just turned up, (laughs) you know, and that's right. That's more than anything. That's what led me to the peace stance is biblical obedience is taking that thing you don't disagree that you don't agree with. You don't want it to be true and understanding that, oh, this is true. So it's actually the peace stance, which is what I fought about, is what secures me so tightly to the Anabaptist tradition. That, and I, I like believer's baptism because, you know, why paint the roses red? And, you know, and I mm-hmm. love the sense of community and all the other things, but it's the peace stance that actually secures me so tightly to Anabaptist tradition because part of discipleship, which, you know, Matthew 28, you're called to make disciples. How can you be a disciple of Jesus if you look nothing like him? Jesus, who went like a lamb to the slaughter, he didn't fight back. When his disciple, his good friend, cut off the ear of another person, he healed him immediately and said, put away your sword. And then every single one of those men, except for John, the disciple that Jesus loved, died a horrible and violent death without fighting back. And then you have Paul, who Mm -hmm. appeals to Caesar. At any time, he he could revoke that appeal and go free. He stood his ground, and he allowed Caesar to kill him so that he could preach the gospel to the king face to face. And that Mm -hmm. is my Jesus. So if I'm going to be like Jesus, that means that I have to act like Jesus. I have to try to follow Jesus to the best of my ability. So things that Mm -hmm. Jesus said was go and sin no more. And Jesus also stood up for the downtrodden. We get this weird picture of Jesus as being like this uh, hippie love child kind of where he's just like, Oh, I love everybody. And that that is an attribute of Jesus is that he loved people, but he also had a spine and he he stood Mm -hmm. up for what was right, not because he was willing to kill for it, because killing is easy. He was willing to die for it. And that Mm -hmm. is important. I think that's the most important thing is, are you willing to die for your enemy? Are you willing to die for those who hate you? And that is quite honestly what Jesus does. That's what he did is he died for those that are sinners. So when uh, you hear people say, well, we're going to go smite the heathens, there's an essence of that in evangelicalism when we talk about military. You're going to go fight those pagan nations. You're going to go fight the Muslims. You're going to go, you know, and I heard so much of that evangelical affirmation of you're going to fight the Muslims like this crusades thing. Somewhere along the lines, even before I was a Mennonite, I'm like, why would I want to send someone to hell sooner? Mm. And that's not always a popular thing. Even within the Mennonite church, you have a lot of people that really want there to be more than one way to the Father. And Jesus Mm. is the only way. So if I believe that, why would I ever rob someone the opportunity to repent and to know Jesus by killing them and sending them to hell earlier? That is sick and twisted. There's nothing Christ-like about that in any circumstance. It should appall us that this is, this is so widely accepted. Did you get out of the military as a, as a CO, and you've shared with us that your walk towards accepting nonviolent, non-resistant abuse, you becoming a, 
an Anabaptist joined the Anabaptist Church. Has your views in the last, let's say, eight years, have they changed, transformed, progressed? Have they gone through phases of uh, different beliefs as far as what is nonviolence, non-resistance? How do I live it out? Uh, this is the theology, but this is practical way that I'm going to practice this in my life. I've had different, I would almost call them adaptations. So oh, okay. uh, I, I also teach science. So in this, it, let, let me use scary language just so it, it upsets people. <laughs> um, you know, the, the real evolution oh, of my stance <laughs> happened probably between you know eight and 10 years ago. No, that's eight cool. Eight to 10 years ago, that's when I actually realized that I, I am a pacifist and that happened probably a decade ago, even though I didn't, I didn't know I hadn't, that was the other part of why it took me so long to join the churches. I thought I was a member because they gave me my wife's mailbox when we got married. So I thought I was a member. I was an attendee. So when I found out I wasn't really a member, I became one. I thought I was yeah. a, a, a member Classic. in good standing and I was just Classic. attending as far as, um, my adaptations, the little adaptations after the big evolution, they're, they're always happening. Uh, I still okay. love veterans. They're my people. You know, it's, they're my brothers, really. Not in the same way that, that other believers are my brothers, but it's similar. We have shared experience. And unless you've done it, you don't know. And that's just the simple truth is unless you've done it, you don't know. It's in the same way that if people who went to the same college or people that were on the same football team, they have that kinship. Now, if you extend that to be every meal and every place you've traveled, <laughs> every experience being pretty much the same as all these other people, it's it's right. amplified really is what it is. Mm-hmm. I think the only thing that has the same the same kind of bonding ability and it's not positive is probably prison time. You know, when you see people that have served in the same penitentiary, they have almost the same conversation as people that have served at the same uh, fort or the same area you know it changes you forever but when you're looking at where they're at now where where the veterans are most of them i'm just so baffled that we don't make more of an effort to recruit veterans into our anabaptist tradition mm. or into christianity and i don't remember if the sound was rolling or not but 22 veterans kill themselves every day because they have no purpose and jesus is the purpose that they need Um, And it's a higher calling and there's a mission that needs done. And we don't fit in anymore. Veterans never fit in with anybody except for each other. In the same way, Christians never fit in with anybody but each other. It's very interesting, but they'll always be my people. But I almost always advise people not to join the military now, particularly when they're Christians and particularly when they're Mennonites, just because I don't think they realize what they're doing. And I don't speak out against people serving in the military because they're people, most of them are poor kids that were given an opportunity to do something else because college is too expensive and there's no point in going most of the time. People don't know about trade schools. People don't know that the Mennonite Church offers all these volunteer things that you can do for a few years. If you don't know what to do after high school, volunteer, make the world a better place. You can even go to some of the same nations that you'd be going to anyway, only instead of carrying a gun, you'll be delivering food and Bibles. So Amen. why wouldn't you do that? I don't believe in regrets because they're pointless. And I would be a totally different person if I made good choices early in life. 
So, <laughs> but uh, doing mission work now or being a part of something is is so refreshing. But it, it also helps put your military experience in perspective, because I don't know any good fruit that came out of my time in the desert. I mean, I know how it shaped me, and I know how I helped to shape other people. But as far as the direct effect of me being in places was as often, if not more often, I was an oppressor. I was someone keeping people down. I was someone that was bullying people or pushing them around. There was other times we were rescuing people that needed rescued. And I still am wrestling through what that looks like. Because you would never allow the genocide in Rwanda to occur if you could help it. But what is our role in that? Well, my role obviously isn't to pick up pick up a M16 and sign on a dotted line and go fight for the money of the ruling class. And I don't mean to get political because this is so much more important than politics. Right. Something I did learn in the military because I had a very high security clearance is if you're looking at one side of politics as being the good guys and the other side being the bad guys, you're half right. There are no yeah, good That's right. There are no good guys. Every single person that has been in politics on a national level has blood on their hands. And that's not a popular opinion because many of them are professing Christians or professing whatevers. They all have blood on their hands and they all have information about things that should not have occurred, that did occur. And they've either had to stay silent or they turned a blind eye to it or it wasn't a priority. Mm-hmm. There's some real atrocities that have gone on right. since 2001. And that isn't because soldiers as people or Marines are bad. We need to stop that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need to stop that mindset. They're not, mm-hmm. they're not automatons. They're not killing machines. They're poor kids. They're poor kids mm-hmm. that saw an alternative to going radically in debt or going to jail, usually. Or they found a job that paid more than you know five seventy five an hour or whatever minimum wage was back in the day. You had the poor kids from the inner city. You had the poor kids from the country. Every now and again, you had a rich kid who loved his country. But for the most part, that's the anomaly. Mm-hmm. You had you had a bunch of minority children with a bunch of white trash kids just becoming brothers, really, is what it was. Which also has changed a lot of these conversations I hear in, in public places about race relations. Is And it isn't because there's not problems. There's clearly problems. Mm-hmm. But if you've ever served in the military, you know what it's like to be family with people of different nationalities and to know what that looks like. And sometimes it doesn't go smoothly, but conversations are always happening, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, some of my closest people have much darker skin than I do. And mm-hmm. I just want all these people to come to Jesus because I think that is what church is supposed to look like. That's where church mm-hmm. has been dropping the ball so much is we're afraid to have these conversations we're afraid to have the awkwardness and that rub of, okay, well, we're different in this way. Right. That's the beauty, isn't it? I mean, there's beauty in that. Mm-hmm. I guess that's not the beauty, but there's beauty in that. Man, I think this is the exact kind of depth that that we were hoping for and excited for with this conversation. And there, and there are just a couple of things that you've, you've hit on that I think are so significant. One, I've heard you say a couple of times, a few times, how big of an opportunity the church has to reach out to veterans that on the one hand that for a lot of folks, there's a brokenness there Yes, that they're searching for new purpose, a new meeting that Christ has to offer. 
and the Mennonite church in particular can maybe help these folks process their experience in a faith setting that helps them reintegrate into Christ's image. Like we all need to be reintegrated into Christ's image. I believe that Mennonite Mission Network has come up with an initiative to reach veterans. Aside from that, most of the Mennonite resources about military are avoidance related, like how to avoid a recruiter, how to That's not right. So what I would like us to do, though, is to stop looking at how to not serve alone, but start looking for restoring people that did serve. And I don't want to speak for you necessarily, Ramon, but I think you can agree that every veteran has some broken pieces to them. So Actually, some- a lot of them go into the military with broken pieces. Oh, yes, we do. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) you just don't get broken there (laughs) no no most of the people that show up there they were kind of coming up against it anyway which is how they landed there you know it's really indentured servitude uh to Mm. you know within reason you you get your weekends off so that you can destroy your body and go back to work great way of saying that almost all mennonite materials are all about avoid the military they're not helping pick people back up after they've done it. And I'd like to see that change. And I'd like to see us as individual churches and individual Christians to actually start opening conversation with veterans. And that's, that's always going to be a little awkward when they're going to be like, Hey, I'm a veteran. You're going to be like, Hey, we don't do that here. Uh, How you doing? That's right. You know, so it's always going to be a little awkward because you're taking that thing that they're most proud of and saying, okay, but we want to know you. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's interesting. That's That's really hard because that's the shield that you can put up for the rest of your life is, well, I'm a veteran. And they're saying, okay, we'll put that down. Who are you? Come in Mm -hmm. here. Let's hang out. Let's, let's see what's up. Like you, it is very encouraging and it speaks to me as a veteran of knowing that there are other veterans in the, in Anabaptist faith. And to hear their story, and like you said, we, sh- we have shared uh, experiences, and yet... Right. Well, a lot of times the, the Christian message that people give to veterans is very nationalistic, usually. They're like, oh, God bless you for your service. Well, we're not mm-hmm. doing service to Jesus. We're, we're doing service to the country, which isn't nothing. I don't oh, think we should wow. treat it like it's oh, not yeah. important. That's not nothing, right. but it's not... It's not the same. I'm a very patriotic person, but I have to hold that in a different hand than I hold my faith in. Because the truth is, is the kids that we were shooting at, well, Jesus loves them just as much as us. That's right. 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 And the, the person that's in the cell and the person guarding the cell are both beloved to the Father. They're both made in God's image. Amen. it really is metanoia. You have to change the way you think. Mm-hmm. And, and it's I, so good that you're saying this because we're coming up on July 4th. Mm. And it's, yeah, I think, and we just left Memorial Day. Right. You know, so it, is, it, it lends us to think about some things. You know, we're, we're coming out of this COVID thing and the politics and all these other things. Yeah. This is brass tax kind of stuff sometimes, you know, Boy, I mean? that we I, need to get back and talk to talk about. We've talked about this a little bit, Ramon, about how we need to stop worrying about being offensive. And I don't mean to be offensive intentionally. That isn't okay. That's not okay. Don't be provocative for the sake of being provocative. But to speak truth and allow it to be truth and be willing to take it on the chin 
for speaking truth. Amen. Yeah, that's going to be difficult because even among people who we love, sometimes that's going to be really hard. Even Mm -hmm. among Mennonite pastors, the three of us in the room, I'm sure we'd be able to find some territory where one of us finds something to be really important and to one of us it's secondary theology and why are we trying to divide people you know so that's right um yeah. really and i really don't enjoy being offended okay i'm just like <laughs> no i'm just kidding buddy <laughs> you know i make jokes about it sometimes where i'm like you know everybody needs to be offended a certain amount in life and every Amen. once in a while i'm blessed enough to be vehicle <laughs> that gets, that's you know, awesome that's right i don't enjoy offending people either but Sometimes it needs to happen, and sometimes sometimes it has to be you. And that's really a lot of discernment goes into when it should be me that speaks and when it should be me that just hugs somebody and listens. Mm-hmm. Um, because yeah. we have people in all kinds of walks of life, and there's people telling people that sin isn't sin simply because they love the person, and they know God loves the person. They've seen God use the person. And I don't think that's very loving to try to change that same scripture that told me that I was a sinner and that I needed to obey God and take that thing that I was so proud of and put it down and pick up my cross and follow Jesus. That's the call to everybody, no matter what your cross is. A cross is a torture device that kills you. That isn't like pick up your book bag and follow Jesus. That's pick up that thing that's going to be the cause of your demise. Pick up that pain. And follow mm-hmm. Jesus. We all have to give something. And sometimes it's our, well, it's always our sins. And some of our sins are very visible. And some of our sins are very hard to get over. And some of our mm-hmm. sins are only known about in our own heads, you know. And the call is the same to everyone. And I think we do a disservice where we make distinctions between sins as as in making a hierarchy of sins, well, okay, you're acceptable, but you're not, and you're not. But what I think is even worse is the backswing from that is not calling sin sin anymore. That's right. Because you saw God use this person. We'll make the exception. And I want to do that too. I mean, <laughs> I'm a human being. I want to do that too. Mm-hmm. But I don't know that we get to. We just need to talk more as, as churches, as as Christians, there is a curriculum. I just found it on my phone. I apologize for trying to multitask, which I don't do well. There's a, a <laughs> curriculum, Elkhart, Indiana, Mennonite Church, USA, Mennonite Mission Network, six-week Sunday school curriculum, returning veterans, returning hope, seeking peace together. Mm-hmm. So that I think I, is, I've heard of that, yeah. That was June 2016, and I just ran mm-hmm. into that the other day. Uh, and I don't know how well that's going, but at least the conversation was started. Right. So, but short of that, almost every other veteran thing I've seen is just avoid. But what happens when you mm-hmm. come home and you didn't avoid or you didn't know or you weren't a Mennonite yet? Mm-hmm. You know, it's, I don't know. I kind of bunny trailed there. I apologize. Well, that's okay. I mean, it, it's great. It gives, I think, all of us an introduction, an invitation to a deeper conversation, a more nuanced conversation about certainly military service and veterans and, and how to have these, to have these conversations and maybe some pointers on, on what that can look like. But it's also even broader than that, right? You, oh, it is. You're talking about a wide range of, of whether it's sins or, or, or 
just different topics that are hard well, for us to talk about. And how can we simple, address yeah. them straightforward? The simple truth that, well, it's, it's not simple to carry out, but the simple truth is that you are responsible for everything God shows you. Mm-hmm. But until God shows you, you're not going to care. So when mm-hmm. God shows me that I need to put away my sword, then I'm responsible to live that at all costs because God showed me. And what am I going to do? Am I going to argue with God? Or if God tells me that I, I'm supposed to not lie or I'm supposed to change something, I don't have the ability to rationalize it. Because the truth is, is there will always be a good reason for violence, but it's not what we're called to. And there will always be a good reason for offense, to be offended. There's always a good reason to be offended. And there's always a good reason to use horrible phrases like, oh, the world's going to hell in a handbasket and mm-hmm. you know all these other things. I think we're missing the point a lot of times when we try to make excuses. Reasons are great, but we should never let them become excuses. We should understand the reasons so that we can change or so that we can change the conversation. All right. Well, thanks again to Lucas Johnson for coming on the Ohio Conference cast. Uh, Of course, he is a familiar face to this podcast and and great to hear from him again. Uh, One thing that we hope to do at some point is is to check back in with him on his discipleship group journey. I know uh, Mona and I both know that uh, he released a series of episodes on the discipleship groups that were happening in, in Pennsylvania and around the Valley View Church, and, and hopefully at some point we'll, we'll be able to follow up with Lucas on that. Uh, we just ran out of time in this conversation because there was so much to unpack. So uh, just really big thanks again to Lucas. We hope that this offers an opportunity for uh, you all who are listening to to think uh, more deeply about uh, the military from a Mennonite point of view and, and how to nurture conversations in our churches that are just open and, and sensitive, um, but also hopefully catching a vision, too, from, from Lucas's, um, what I found to be inspiring words about reaching out to veterans um, and and showing them showing them like like we all need um a mission and a purpose from from our creator so um again uh thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time on the ohio conference cast ohio people with men and i've used and they're gonna give us some missional news ohio conference cast Thank you for listening to another edition of Ohio Conference Cast. We would love to hear from you. Our email is ohioconferencecast at gmail.com. Ohio Conference Cast is brought to you by the Ohio Conference Leadership Team, along with Norm Sohar, sound engineer, Megan Sohar, voiceover, Ann Lehman, publisher, and our many guests and listeners.